Okay, today we will be studying Parshas Vayechi, and as well, it's a fast day, so we will touch a little bit upon uh, Asar Bateves. Might as well start with Asar Bateves. Asar Bateves is a very unusual fast of all the fasts, and the reason that makes it different is... First of all, it's the only fast that actually can come out on a Friday, which has happened uh, um, recently, I think last year or two years ago. No other fast comes out on a Friday. That's number one. And then there's an Abu Draham that says a fascinating thing. He says, if a Sarabateves would come out on Shabbos, we would fast on Shabbos. We would fast on Shabbos. Just just doesn't happen to come out on Shabbos. The calendar just doesn't work out that way that it comes on Shabbos. But if it would come out on Shabbos, we would fast on Shabbos. And the Beis Yosef brings this down, and he's shocked. He said, I don't understand. Even Tisha B'Av, which is such a serious fast, is pushed off until Sunday. Uh, Tanis Esther is pushed forward Till Thursday, we find that fasts are pushed off. Some Gedalia is pushed off till Sunday. Every fast is pushed off, except Yom Kippur. So why in the world would he say that it should uh, be? We should be fasting on Shabbos. It's a very interesting idea. And many posts came to disagree with Abu Draham and said we would not fast Shabbos. It's a moot point, but the but the point probably has a message. And in general. Uh, we find that of all the fasts, Asar Bateves just is like is like uh, people don't take it very seriously. <laughs> what can I say? Uh, maybe because they're all on vacation. Uh, quite often, people's vacations are in Asar Bateves. Um maybe because it's a short um, fast. Um, what is it uh, remembering? It's remembering that they laid siege to the Beis Hamikdash, but it would not be another three years till it was destroyed. And yet, uh, Chazal saw that it was a very important uh, thing. And the reason why the Abu Draham is proof, by the way, is when the Navi discusses this fast day, it says the words, Be'etzem hayomazeh. On this day, while Tisha B'Av doesn't exactly say the ninth of Av, it's called the fast of the fifth month, um, and uh, the 17th of Thomas, fast of the fourth month, says this very day you should fast. That's the Abu Dram source. But anyway, it's what, 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 is, what are we supposed to do today besides keep ourselves busy the whole day and take a nap in the afternoon and then the fast is over. So we'll put that to the side and let's, uh, let's get into this Parsha. First source, Vayichi Yaakov Be'eretz Mitzrayim Shva Esrei Shana. And Yaakov lived in the land of Mitzrayim 17 years. And Rashi comments, he says, Lama Parsha Zustuma. Why is this Parsha completely closed? What is Rashi asking? So if you get a chance to look inside a Sefer Torah, we know that quite often between different topics and certainly between Parshios, when a parsha ends, the next parsha will either start on the next line. Say the parsha ends in the middle of a line. Keep another, there's another half a line left, for example. So they just stop. 
you fit, let the line blank, and you start on the next line. You start the next parsha. Or at minimum, or if you have, let's say, different topics within a parsha, you will have at least a, a gap, of no, a space of nine letters. So that's that's always between one major topic and another. Um, clearly, between parshas, there's always this opening, so to speak. So it means the parsha is open, meaning the line is open to the end. When you come to Parshas Vayechi, it's a little, you have to be better Balkore to be able to uh, find the place. Usually when you're looking for a new Parsha, it's going to be the beginning of the line. Here it's not. It's in the middle of the line. It's not not even a space. Just one, no, no space. It ends the last Parsha. Boom, starts the next one. It's very unusual for Sefer Torah to do that. And Rashi notes this. And he answers... Because once Yaakov Avinu dies, the eyes and the hearts of the Jewish people in Egypt became closed because of the servitude that they began to inflict upon them. That's what Rashi brings down over here. So there's two questions that have to be asked. Question number one, what's the idea of the eyes and the heart as opposed to any other part of the body? And number two, if you want to hint to this idea of the Egyptian servitude, Rashi is saying that their eyes became closed and their hearts became closed when they started to enslave them, but they didn't start to enslave them until next week's Parsha. So if anything, the close should be at the end of this Parsha and before the next Parsha. So why is the close over here? All right. Uh, third point. Third point is, uh, so why do we have these little spaces in between? So Rashi and Vayikra tells us, What were these breaks serving for? So Litein Revach Lamosha, to give some space for Moshe, he's boning to reflect, ben partial partial, between every section, to have time to reflect. Okay, so there's a reason for those spaces. You finish a parsha, reflect on it, and then you reflect on it. You got it. Let's move on to the next one. That's the whole idea of the space. So, if your Torah wants to hint to the fact that when the servitude started, so they want to make some kind of sign that their hearts and eyes were closed, there's many ways. There's no shortage of ways for Hashem to hint to such an idea. Why does he have to do it? by changing the natural um, beauty of the Sefer Torah that has this gap, this space in between parshas, uh, just to let us know this idea. There could have been other ways for Hashem to do it. He could use certain words, your words with the heart and the, and the eyes in the text, to hint to the idea that their hearts and eyes were closed. Why do you have to disrupt the natural way the Torah is written because of that? And while we're on the topic, source four already mentioned to you that the Shochar Paskin said an empty space should be the size that you could put nine letters in. What's the idea of why Epis nine letters? Okay, so the basic idea is as follows. It's an idea we've mentioned but in the past, but we'll plug it into this Parsha and see what this becomes the real message of Parsha's Vayechi. 
because we have to think, you know, every every Torah portion has a unique message for us. So, Vayechi is sort of missing that unique message. You know, if, if, you, if you go through Vayechi, what do you have? You have Yaakov um, makes Yosef promise him to bury him um, in Eretz Yisrael when he dies. You have Yaakov giving the blessings to Ephraim and Menashe. You have Yaakov blessing his children. Okay. And Yaakov dying. He's buried in the Mar Samach Pela. At the end, Yosef dies. It's almost like uh, uh, an epilogue to a great story. We had a great story going for three parshios, Yosef and the brothers. And by the end of last week's parsha, everything was pretty much taken care of. So this is just like sort of finishing up. Finishing up, okay, Yaakov tells us, I want, I want to be buried back in there. It's just all this and that. But what's the main message? So one, one way is, looking, well, you see, brachos, there's a lot of brachos in this parsha, And yeah, certainly that's one of the messages. Um, Twelve sons, each needs a unique bracha. That's one message. But uh, that just deals with the brachos. What about the rest of the parsha? So let's try to see what is the real message of Vayechi. And uh, there's many ways it's brought in. A- after I prepared the class and I saw Rablevi Yitzchak, he also talks about this idea on a related topic within the Parsha. I don't know if I have time to get to all the issues here, but it seems like almost every little part of this Parsha hits on this same idea. And this idea, as we know from sources 5 and 6, we always says that we've quoted this often, often. A person should always be accustomed to saying to himself that whatever Hashem does is for the best. That was Rabbi Akiva's great statement. Nochemish Gamsu would always say Gamsu Latova. This too is for the best. And what were they trying to accomplish with this? So all the Hasidish Svarim talk about this. The Toldos Yaakov Yosef he brings it from his Rebbe, the Baal Shem Tov, who quotes the Arizal. And Rav Levi Yitzchak brings this down. They all say the same idea, basically. And it's the idea we've mentioned in the past, the idea of hamtokas hadin, sweetening the judgment. And the idea of sweetening the judgment is that, of course, often Hashem does things to us that appear to be very unpleasant and seem to be a great degree of judgment, to which we have to realize that really there's no such thing as Hashem doing anything that's not good for us. That everything Hashem does is absolutely good for us. And the fact that we think that it is not good, it's only because we don't understand it. That's all. Either we don't see the big story, we don't see how what's happening now is an incredibly important step for the next step. And in so many ways, Reb Levi Yitzhak, he adds a little knech to from what the Shvile Pinchas talks about. It's interesting. He brings a I don't have the source. I already made the sheet up by then. Gemara Megillah says, "Look at the difference between Hashem and people. If you want to, if you want to uh, cook some water, want to boil some water, the normal way is you put a pot on the stove, and then you put the water in the pot. Hakadosh Baruch Hu, he he takes the water out, and then he puts the pot." Okay, what does that mean? I mean, normally, you know, you make a coffee, put the cup down, pour the hot water. Oh, Hashem, no, he pours the hot water and he puts the cup. What is that supposed to mean? And the answer is that, well, what is the analogy of the water and the cup? 
And really, what is the primary thing? When you have water in a cup, what's the primary? The primary is the water. It's not the cup. So in a normal progression, we like to have the cup and then we have the water. And uh, the, uh, the rabbis are saying that these are code words. That the cup is a cleat. A cup is a utensil. And water, water, maim chaim. Water always is symbolic of chesed. Uh, it's the source of all life. And the idea is as follows. Quite often, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, not quite often, almost always, when Hashem wants to give us something, A, we have to be deservant of it, and B, we have to be prepared for it. And therefore, when something bad happens to us, we have to look at it as the necessary and required first step in order for us to be rotly and fit to become a receptacle for the blessing that Hashem wants to give us. However, we look, again, just as we talked about history, you look at history backwards. So we look at the way things play out in life backwards. We don't look at it as, well, something bad was happening and then it turned out good. So it seems that the bad was first and then came the good. And even if you want to say the bad is a cause for the good, that's not the order how it works. The order is Hashem is kind. And Hashem already has made an order that He wants to bring you something good. That's that's the starting point. The starting point is He wants to give you good. Okay. Now, the problem is often, and the wording of Rav Levi Yitzchak is the person has to become a clay, a clee, a utensil to be able to receive this flow, uh, uh, to, to receive what, what's coming down the line. Let's say, uh, let's say you want to give someone, let's say you have a cup. Okay. A cup it can hold eight ounces. And you would like to give the cup a gallon. More than what the cup can hold. So what are you going to do? Pour a gallon of water into the cup? What do you have to do? You have to break the cup. <laughs> to break the cup and find a way to make it bigger. All right? Let's say it's a silver silver cup. And that's all you got. And it's a small silver cup. You want to put a lot in. So what do you do? You'll break the silver. You'll melt it down. You'll make the cup now, let's say, with a thinner um, edge. So you can make it larger. Right? Now the cup is larger. Now it's able to contain much more than what it was able to contain before. You follow? So let's say you're, you're, we're all cups. We're all Kalim. So you're a Kaylee and you're living your life and you're happy with the way life is, but not realizing life can give you so much more. It can give you so much more. Sometimes we get used to certain habits. We're used to living our lives a certain way. Everything's fine. You know, I get up in the morning, I daven, I do this, I do that. I have, I, I'm, I'm at a nice spiritual level. Okay. And then Hashem has chosen to benefit us beyond what we could even dream. In whatever way. Sometimes if you have more money, you're able to do better things. If you have better health, you can do better things. If you're just a better person, you could grow. And often we're happy being six ounce cups. 
Hashem decides, really, I'd like to make you a full gallon cup. But, you know, and I want to give you, no, let's, let me say it. I want to give you a gallon worth of greatness. I want to give you a gallon worth of greatness. Whatever it is. But you're only a six cup, ounce cup. So what does Hashem have to do? He, he can give you a gallon. It's just going to slip through your fingers. You're not going to hold on to it. So what did it help to get more than what you need and you can't hold, retain it? So Hashem now, because He's made the a prior decision that He wants to make your life bigger and better, so He has to break you. He has to break your cup till through that difficult transition process, that difficult time in your life, you become bigger. And then when Hashem gives you the bracha, then you're big enough to take the bracha and you don't let it slip through. You follow? This is, that's what it means. Whatever Hashem does is good. Breaking the cup. He said, what do you mean you broke the cup? How did you break me? I was a happy six ounce cup. And look what you've done in my life. You've broken me in this way and that way. I can't hold anything. See, problem is, in the middle, you can't hold anything. You don't realize that shows make you into a bigger cup. And you'll be the bigger cup. And then, all of a sudden, boom, you can hold a gallon. Now, how else would you like Hashem to give you a gallon? There's no other way to give you a gallon. Because you're so small. He's got to make you big. But you can't be big until you're broken. So therefore, Hashem breaks you, and the whole reason He's breaking you is to make you bigger. Gamzu Latova. This too is for the betterment. And this is the way Hashem generally runs the world. So, says uh, where I'm up to now. So that's how they learned the Pshat over here, Parshas Vayichi. Vayechi Yaakov Be'eretz Mitzrayim. That Yaakov lived in Eretz Mitzrayim. Now we know Yaakov was not happy to be in Mitzrayim. Last week's question, I said, I don't want to go down to Mitzrayim. Please don't make me go down to Mitzrayim. It's a terrible place to go down to Mitzrayim. You're going to break my cups if you take me down to Mitzrayim. And Hashem said, you know, don't worry. Don't worry. And uh, as we see that when uh, that things, uh, then it says, and then it says here, Vayechi Yaakov. Yaakov was able to live spiritually in the land of Mitzrayim, Shva Esrei Shana, 17 years. And by his total belief that everything Hashem is doing is going to be good, 17 is the gematria of the word Tov. So he lived 17 years, meaning to say there were 17 good years. That the Amuna that Yaakov developed, that when things are not looking good, but because you have that Amuna that it's going to be good, then it is going to be good. And that's what the first Pasuk is saying. Vayechi Yaakov Eretz Mitzrayim. Yaakov was able to live in the land of Mitzrayim, which was a land of Metzar, a very bad place to live. It was a very painful place to live. But he lived Shvaasrashana, seventeen years old, seventeen the Gamatri told they were all good years. So what 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 
what I'm combining what Rav Levi Yitzchak says and what's brought down by told us Yaakov Yosef, you have to put both ideas together. If you hear them separately, you're, miss, you're having one half of the coin and missing the other half of the coin. <clears throat> the told us Yaakov Yosef, he's saying, if you really believe that it's good, if you really believe that this that is, is, is good, then it will be good. The belief that it will be good makes it good. Without that belief that it will be good, it will not be good. So you hear they say, well, I don't understand. You know, does, why should that make a difference? But now when you say the part with Rebbe Yitzchak, who says that Hashem, you know, wants to make you a bigger kli to receive more, that's why it will be good. But how do you know it always works out that way? That's where you have to believe it will be good. In other words, when, when you're in the midst of being cracked open, you have two choices now. You could say, this is terrible. I don't like this. I don't want this. I'm upset at Hashem that he did this. And you will resist his efforts to make you bigger. And you're still going to try to be like Humpty Dumpty and try to put all the, take all the king's horsemen and all the king's men and try to put Humpty Dumpty back together again the way you were. And if the way you were, see, you can even learn uh, Hashkafa from Humpty Dumpty, right? If, if, if you want to be back to the way you are, and then you may end up being back the way you are. And you say, well, what do I have to bother with all this suffering if I only ended up back the way I was? <coughs> you know, a good Hashem person get a very bad sickness, very big sickness. And why is Hashem bringing the sickness? Because he wants to make you a bigger kli. He wants to give you more in life. When you're worthy for more, you'll get more. And as you are right now, you're not worthy to get more. You're worthy just to get what you're getting now. And Hashem wants to give you more. Sometimes He brings you a sickness, lo aleinu. We don't ask for it, but Hashem's one who decides who gets it. You get the sickness, and now you have a choice. You could fight to be the same kli that you are. You could spend all your time just thinking what the doctors are going to say and how you're going to get better. You're not thinking about anything more. You're not thinking about why did Hashem make me sick? What is Hashem expecting from me? So you just end up spending a lot of time, a lot of effort and money just to be the same Klee that you were. Then you resent the whole situation. If the person starts and says, listen, everything Hashem does good, this has to be good. This has to be good. <laughs> See, that's why you ask, well, how can people say it's got to be good and it's not good? Because they don't mean it. <laughs> you know, you could say it, but if you don't mean it, that's a whole different story. But if you really understand, well, what does Hashem want from me? What, how does Hashem want me to grow? And that's your real focus. Of course, of course, you're going to the doctors. Of course, you're taking treatments. Of course, you're doing that. You have to do that. But to realize it's all part of just, and I think this is the chizuk. If you knew that the treatments you're taking were making you into a bigger kli, and you're going to end up, even though physically debilitated, but spiritually from a six-ounce cup to one-gallon tumbler, you'd be very happy with what Hashem is doing. That's harder said than done, obviously. But if you understand what's going on, then there's a chance. See, and that's why you need the two sides of the coin to understand this idea. That if you have an emuna, that in this bad state, Hashem is trying to make things better and the only way to make... And and it's not a bad thing. It's not even so much necessarily that you're a sinner that Hashem has to do it. It could sometimes be you are. But then you could be a tzaddik. You're a tzaddik. But as a tzaddik, this is as far as you can take it. 
That's as far as you can take it. Your life experiences as such have brought you this far in growth. Fine. So what happens for the rest of your life? Well, sometimes Hashem has to help you out and He creates a very painful situation in life and the way you react to that situation can have you grow at least in terms of your bitachon and emunah and Hashem. And when you grow at least in that area, if not in other areas, then you have made yourself into a bigger kli and then Hashem can really pour what He's been planning to pour in the whole time. And that's what the Medrash is saying. People, when they want to make a, a hot tea, first they put the cup down and then they pour the water. But Hashem, He first pours the water, which means to say the water's pouring. The, I'm ready putting in more water than the clique and all. That's the source of it all. Then we'll see what kind of clique we'll put down. Hashem's putting the water first. There's a gallon of water coming. Hmm, you're a six ounce cup. So because there's a gallon of water coming, we've got to do something to the cup. And that's what it means. Hashem pours the water first, the kindness first. And where's the root of this is the kindness to make things better. And now you have to be equal to the task to make yourself better. That's a profound message. And that's what Rabbi Akiva and Nochemish Gamzu were always telling us. There's no such thing as tragic events that are not good. The tragic events are meant to make your clee bigger. And a lot of times we will be happy with a small clee. We don't realize how much more our clee is able to hold. Sometimes we break our own kalim. <laughs> and Hashem has to, has to find a way to help us make it bigger. That's the episode of this parsha, and says the Shvile Pinchas, and this parsha Yaakov commits himself for correcting this make mistaken notion that he had about this in the past, as you see it very clearly in source number seven, when Yaakov comes down to Paro, and Paro asks Yosef, "How uh, Yaakov? How old are you?" And he says, oh, I'm not as old as you think I am. My years have been few and they've been with suffering, etc., etc. The days of the years of my life have been few and miserable. They've not reached the age, the days of the years of the lives of my forefathers and the days of their sojourning. This is his answer after he's reunited with Yosef. So the Baltoisvist brings down from the Medrash when Hashem hears this. He says, I don't get it. I saved you from Aesov. I saved you from Lavan. I brought you back Dina. I also brought back Yosef. And you're complaining that your life was few and miserable? I swear by the letters of how you have responded, that's how many letters you will lose from your life. And since there were 33 words used in uh, Yaakov's response, he lost 33 years from his life. And he died at 147 instead of 180, which he was meant to live. On a side, Reb Chaim Shalevitz asks, I don't understand, if you look in the Pasuk, Yaakov only said 25 words. He didn't say 33 words. If you count the Hebrew words, the answer is we include Paro's question. The question is, why are we including Paro's question? So Reb Chaim answers, he says, the kind of, when, when usually, you know, people lived old, they didn't look so old. Yaakov looked really old. He let the sufferings impact on him. It aged him. When Paro looked at him, he didn't think Stam was like, why would Paro ask him how old he is? That's not exactly a polite question. 
Imagine you have a me, you go to a tea, and someone says, how old are you? Right? But Paro is shocked. He said, I never saw somebody so old in my life. He must be at least like 900 years old, and people don't live that long anymore. So then I'm not that old. I look old. I look old because I had a miserable life. So that means Yaakov allowed those sufferings to, although he lived through them, and he put on tefillin every day, and was an Eved Hashem every day, but he, he was miserable. He was a miserable Eved Hashem during these times. And he let the sufferings get to him, and it impacted on how he looked. And therefore, he gets punished by giving us such a face that people even be so surprised to see that you look that way. So he got punished even for Paro's reaction to that. So Yaakov makes a very big mistake. And I would say that many people make the same mistake that Yaakov makes. We go through our lives, we have this challenge and that challenge and the other challenge, and we don't always come across that, oh, this is the best. This has to be the best. Everything Hashem does for us. We don't always look at it that way. You know, if your car's not starting today, you're not looking at this as the best. You're really upset, especially if you have to be somewhere important at a certain time. Right? So we, we don't always feel that way. And what happens? What happens when Hashem is, is breaking you to make you bigger and you don't think it's best? So a number of things can happen. Either you just never get the bigger cup or the bigger cup. It's a painful cup. It reminds you of painful memories. And uh, your life is not such a pleasant life. And often we go through our lives that way. And uh, our children see that. The biggest teachers, remember, are you, not the school, right? The biggest teachers is how you react when things aren't going well. And your kids learn from you. And quite often, they may not learn the right things. When the business is going down the drain, how the father loses total control, and everyone's anxious and nervous and all these things. And even if you say everything Hashem does for the best, but you don't behave that way, everything Hashem does for the best, you're not besimcha. You're not living your life with simcha. So Yaakov, remember, he's blazing the trail for this. You've got to remember, he's blazing the trail. The fact that he remained a firm Orthodox Jew and put tefillin every day, the Hasidic Rebbe says they don't understand how he even did that. How could he be a Shomer Torah Mitzvah after everything Hashem did to him? But he was. He was. He didn't miss anything. But a certain Simcha Sachayim, he, he lost because of that. Because it was incredibly difficult. If you go from the beginning of Yaakov's life, it, was, it wasn't an easy part to his life at all. Living with Esav the whole time till he's 63, on the run from Esav, going to love, and everything was going on. It was just terrible. Okay, he remained a very good, upstanding Jew. He never lied, he never cheated, he never missed a day of davening. He did everything. And uh, I'm sure he believed in Hashem. He just couldn't figure out what, what, why is it happening this way. All these things. Okay. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, Hashem was showing him what it was all about. But but even when he spoke to Paro, he still wasn't talking the right way. So therefore, says the Shvile Pinchas, Parshas Vayechi is Yaakov doing tshuva. And his not being makabal all these things, Komanda Ovid Rachman That's what Parshas Vayechi is about. And if you look at all the stories with Yaakov in this Parsha, those are the messages that is trying to be brought across. And again, this is all on Yaakov's level. I mean, his level is way beyond us. But he himself says it. 
who gives us a right to impugn Yaakov like this, because Yaakov himself said it, and Chazal himself criticized him for it. So obviously, there was something not beseder with Yaakov over here. And he loses 33 years of life for this. So therefore, what Yaakov is doing, Yaakov now is making a chesh ben hanefesh. And he understands that what I told Paro was not such a good thing. And therefore, Yaakov says, the remaining years of life that I have, which end up being the 17 years, the last years I will live, I will learn and I will teach to all my children to totally believe that call man the Ovid Rachmona Latava Ovid. It's a parsha. This parsha is it. If you really want to live like a Jew, you live and feel the credo of call man the Ovid Rachmona Latava Ovid. And that's why Yaakov Eretz Mitzrayim Interesting, the word shana, you could play on that word shana. Source 8 is an example of that. Shana can mean to teach. As the Gemara says, Kach shana li Rab Meir. Thus Rab Meir taught me. So Yaakov used his last 17 years, Sheva Esrei, shana, a plan of the word, years obviously, but Sheva Esrei, Shana that he was teaching his family that everything that they came down to Egypt, it was all for the best things. And that will make them ready to be able to receive the Torah at Har Sinai. And that's the Medrash we mentioned, I think, last week or two weeks ago in source number nine. I think it was two weeks ago when Yosef went down to Mitzrayim, why he was the one that went down first. Remember, he protected himself for immorality and that blazed the trail for the Jews who would be able to live a life of morality. And there's a reason why Yosef had to go down first and to blaze the trail for everybody. And that was, uh, remember, with all that stuff we talked about history going backwards, I think it was two weeks ago, right? That we start with Hashem wants to give us the Torah. Obviously, he wants to make all the Jews bigger cups. To get the Torah, you got to be a pretty big cup. And they're all pretty small cups coming down the line. So Hashem got to make you into bigger cups. How to make you into bigger cups? You're going to have to go down to Egypt. The suffering Egypt is going to make you a bigger cup. Yeah, but to be able to have that, we have to have being Yosef to enable you to become, to succeed in the being the bigger cup, etc., etc., etc. And that's what Yosef himself says at the end of the Parsha. This week's Parsha. When the brothers, after Yaakov is buried, the brothers mistakenly think that now Yosef's going to take revenge on them. And what does Yosef say? And they're pleading and they're crying, please don't take revenge on us. And what does Rashi say? Am I in the place of Hashem? You planned for bad, but Hashem planned it for the good. To keep you alive, spiritually, as we explained a few weeks ago. So therefore, obviously, you see this was all for the best. And therefore, Yaakov lives in the land of Mitzrayim, although it's a difficult land, but he's understanding that what Hashem is doing, he's breaking our cups to make us bigger. So Shva Esrei 17, the Gematria of Tov, which is good, Shana, he was teaching it to his children. That's the message of the Parsha. And with this, it can explain a lot of nice things. A lot of nice things get explained. Yeah, question? No? A lot of nice things get answered, or, or at least understood. For example, Rabbi Huda Nasi. Yudha Nasi in Source 11 says some, a very interesting medrash. The medrash says that Rabbi Yudha Nasi for 17 years lived in the city of Tsipori, which is in the Galil. You could visit it on your Frum tours, going to Tsipori, and they show you the nice synagogues over there and the 
where the floors are designed. But he lived there for 17 years. And he would say about himself, he would say about himself, he said about himself, and Yaakov lived in Israel 17 years. And he lived in Sipuri 17 years. It says that uh, also, Rabbi Nasi for 13 years had very big toothache problems. And during those 13 years, no woman died in childbirth. No woman miscarried. So, like, where does Yehuda Nasi get all this stuff from? Where does he get this idea that he's like Yaakov? So, it's interesting, the Kabbalists say that Rabbi Nasi was a Gilgal of Yaakov. It was a Gilgal of Yaakov. And there's good sources to support that idea. Number one, in Pirkei Yavos, Nasi's first statement in Pirkei Yavos, second chapter in Pirkei Yavos, is which way shall a person choose his way in life? Something that is a tiferes, a beauty to the one who does it, and it's beautiful to people. Now, tiferes, we know, is which one of the spheros? Chesed, Gvura, tiferes is the third one. Chesed, Avram, Gvura, Yitzchak, tiferes, Yaakov. So obviously, Yaakov represented, was the Merkava of tiferes, so it makes sense that Yudha Nasi would mention that idea as well. And also he's called Nasi. If you look in source number 13, is the acronym for what? Nitsotso Shel Yaakov Avinu. The spark of Yaakov Avinu. Nasi. Nitsotso. It's right there. Right there in 13. The spark of, of, of Yaakov Avinu. It was the same thing. So obviously it was some kind of Gilgal. And again, what was what was he talking about? The same idea. The same, and why would he quote this passage of Yaakov? The same idea. Because he was not just a coincidence, he was in Sipori for 17 years, but he had terrible Yisurim. He had terrible Yisurim, and in those Yisurim, he was macabre them to be a bigger Kli, and therefore his Tfilos were able to be much more powerful to the extent that not one lady ever miscarried. Not one lady, lady ever died in childbirth. To show you that how great it is when you become a bigger Kli, your Tfilos become bigger for other people. So although he suffered greatly, this was for the good. And he understood that message so well. And obviously he was living in a difficult time during the Roman Empire where it was not a generally pleasant time for the Jews, but he was able to make the best of it. And if anything, things thrived. Think about it. He's living, this is post-Hurban bias, and yet the oral law explodes in a very beautiful way. And sometimes you see the Hurban is a terrible thing. But the Churban was to break our utensils that we now can explode with the Torah Shabalpeh. It's interesting, this can also explain why Rebuda Nasi, when he wrote down or, or put together the oral law in the form of the Mishnayis, what's the very first words of the Mishnah? The very first words that start the Mishnayis is what? From what time does a person begin to say the evening prayer? Why of all the things is that what what he starts with? So the Pashid answer is, well, that's the very first mitzvah a Jew ever does. When you're bar mitzvah, the first mitzvah you ever do is kriya shema shalarvis. That's the first mitzvah. But we could say a little bit more. We could say a little bit more. We know that who was the one that established saying Shema at all? 
Who is the one that established Shema? Who? Yaakov. The famous Medrash, when he in this week's Parsha, again, I'm sorry I didn't put this one in, um, when he wanted to give over before the Brachas to discuss how the history would evolve towards the Mashiach and what exactly we need to do for that, all of a sudden, the Nebuah was taken away from him. So he thought, the Nebuah was taken away from me, must be, it's a reflection that one of my children isn't spiritually proper. Why else would Hashem take away this Nebuah from me? So he turns to his sons and he says, are any of you have any questions about your Yiddishkeit? You having troubles with Yiddishkeit? Hashkafa problems? Any problems? They all responded, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokein Hashem Echad. Listen, Yisrael, our father, Hashem Elokein Hashem Echad. And he answered, Baruch Shem Kavod Machos So you see that from Yaakov came this idea of the Shema. And therefore, Rabbi Yudan Nasi, who's a Gilgal of him, he starts off with the Shema. Now what's so important about the Shema? So we know, in source 15, I just wrote it so you could see it again. Of course, you all know it. Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokein Hashem Echad, the Al Shech's famous pshat that you all are aware of. What is one of the messages of Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokein Hashem Echad? Well, we know the word Hashem, Yud Hey Vav Hey, is the attribute of Rachamim, is the attribute of mercy. We know Elokim, Elokeinu, is the attribute of justice. So what what the sons were telling Yaakov, and it's so fitting that it's said in this parsha that the sons they, they say, "Abba, we get it. You know, we get it. You know, you think you think we learned the wrong lessons from you. Well, you've been trying pretty hard, and this, is, this has already been seventeen years into Egypt now. Remember, beginning of the parsha, and then when he dies, it's seventeen years. For seventeen years, he hacked it in their heads. Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad." But what does it mean? It says to look at everything that happens is all good. Shema Yisrael. Listen, Israel. Listen. Hashem. It start, Hashem start. He's kindness. Although there's times Elohim, sometimes there's times of judgment. But Hashem Echad, it's all one. It's all sourcing back to Hashem's kindness. So therefore, when you, no matter what you see, you see kindness, you see not, you see the opposite. You have to understand that if it's all good, it's all kindness. Okay? So therefore, this Shema, obviously, where did they get it from? In the Medrash. Because he must have been teaching it to them. He was teaching them Shema Yisrael. And Shema Yisrael is the Tikkun for all the complaints that he made. You know, if you do something not good, you got to do something to fix it. So he fixed it. He, he, he said Shema Yisrael. He created that prayer. Okay, it's later in the Chumash also. But clearly it would seem that Yaakov is the one who inserts. It's not Shaykh. Think about it. Even though the marriage says the son said it, they didn't, how did they come up on it on its own? He was teaching them this lesson for 17 years. Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elkein, Hashem Echad. To offset the negative messaging he sent to say, oh, I had a tough life and the years were, were hard and this and that and all those things. So you see a very powerful message, you know, I think it's a big chizuk, you know, you start looking at life, you start looking at your kids get older, you start seeing they're doing things, and they're maybe making the same mistakes you made. You know, and maybe some of them are, are because maybe we didn't have as much emunah and betachan as we should have had. And we got all excited, and we got nervous, and we reacted not a way that we should have. 
I mean, we were all Shomer Torah Mitzvahs. We didn't go off the derech because of it. But how it wore us down, how it showed on our faces, and how your children, you know, you're not careful and you speak these things out in, in front of the kids and stuff like that. And you don't realize that you often really taught them the wrong stuff. So don't feel bad. You're in good company. Yaakov Avino had the same problem. So if 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 you can if you can if you can accept that Yaakov did it wrong, and he felt he had to make a tikkun, maybe it's easy for us to understand we did it wrong sometimes. But don't have to. See, but you could still make a tikkun. You see, that is vayechi. He's making that tikkun for three parshas. I mean, really, going back to vayishlach already with Dina. I mean. Who knows from before? But Hashem was playing it out on Yaakov in the worst ways. And his sons are seeing this all happening. And saying, look what it's doing to our father. He's he's still from, but he's 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 devastated. And then when everything turns out okay, he's kind of telling him, you know, I, I didn't do it right. I didn't do it right. I'm gonna teach you now a new tefillah. And that's what he teaches them, and, and they pick up that message. It's interesting, the source 16, uh, and it's interesting, you know, you like to connect the end of Shas to the beginning of Shas. Usually the beginning of something and the end always connects. So we started Shema was the beginning. What's the end? Whenever you had a Siyam of Shas, um, what do you end with the famous Mishnah Uktsin, source 16? Rabbi Shimon Mechalavta says, Lo Motza Kodesh Baruch Hu Yisrael El HaSholem. Hashem didn't find any better utensil that can hold bracha as the utensil of shalom. And he brings a pasuk to support that. Hashem v'recha samova shalom. Obviously, the pashup shad is shalom. People don't fight with each other. But really, you know, there's a reason why people fight with each other. <laughs> because we have trouble dealing between us making shalom with the midas hadin and the midas harachman that's in our lives. Sometimes Hashem treats us with midas hadin, justice. Sometimes with midas harachimim, and we don't, and we can't make shalom between the two of them. In our own lives, we can't make shalom. When things are good, we're happy. Things are bad, we're sad. That's not shalom. Shalom between midas hadin and harachimim is always good. It's always good. But it means bad now. It's always good. Like, why do we have problems with other people? Why do other people, why do we fight with other people? Why do we have to take revenge on other people? Why do we have to insult other people? It's because somehow, well, he did something to hurt me. And whatever it is, whatever it is, but there was some din going around. And if you realize, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, if this is happening to me, obviously Hashem wants to make me a bigger cup. Now, of course, that person on his own should not have done that terrible thing. But if Hashem has brought me into this situation in life that I'm hurting from that, obviously Hashem wants to make me into a bigger cup. And if he makes me a bigger cup, why am I so upset at that guy? Why am I so upset at that guy? It's because I can't make shalom within myself. What do we mean in myself? Means the din and shalom in my life, I can't make shalom. The din and, and rachamim in my life, I can't make shalom between that in my own life. And therefore, I can't make it in my own life. Then I can't make it with other people. So it's very good. So we end shas by saying you have to make shalom between din and rachamim. No, and what's the beginning of shavas? When do you begin to say the nighttime kriyashma? We know the idea of night. Night is when things aren't clear, things look bad. 
and you're saying Shema Yisrael Hashem Okein Hashem Echad that there's Din, there's Ram, it's all one, it's all good from Hashem, it's all good. And we start every night, night time, the, the times where it's challenging to say that Shema, and that's how we have to start, that's the first and most important message of Yiddishkeit. And the way Hashem always does things, He always starts the night before the day, even that idea, Hashem makes the night before the day, not the day before the night, because the day is when things are going to get big and good, but you gotta, you got to make the cup bigger at night. And therefore we end. Mishnah is the same way. And Rabbi Yunasi was very sensitive to that since he was a, uh, a Gilgal of that. Okay. Very nice. Very nice. So now let's go to the nine spaces. Let's go to the nine spaces. <clears throat> so let's look at a, another beautiful piece of Tehillim. Hodul Hashem Kitov Kiliolam Chasto. Hodul Hashem Kitov Kiliolam Chasto. So, if we look at that and remember that the gematria of Tov is 17. So, one of the, the, the Kabbalists say a very interesting idea. Very interesting idea. Now, you got to hold uh, 18. I, I have trouble making it the order I want to make it. A whole bunch of letters and numbers. you got to look at it or it's not going to make any sense. Okay, let's start in the middle. That's just the way it came out of it. When you go Hebrew, English, I have not, I'm not so good at the computer to get it the way I want it. Hashem's name Yud Hey Vav Hey is the gematria of twenty six. Twenty six is Rachamim. Okay, that's that's Hashem. Shmai so Hashem. Hashem is full of Rachamim. He only wants to do good. But sometimes, when the Rachamim, so sometimes Rachamim comes straight. So straight, it's good. It does come that way sometimes. It doesn't always come that way. Sometimes good just comes good. You wake up, something good happens. Okay. When the din has to be involved in order to bring greater rachamim, so what does it do to the rachamim? It kind of makes it smaller for a while. Now we know in gematria, there, you know, every letter has a, has a, has a, has a numerical value. But there's another thing called mispar katan. You familiar with that? Mispar katan. So let's say mispar katan means any number that's in the tens columns. Starting from yud, yud is 10, chaf is 20, lamed is 30. Mispar katan, you take off the zero and you just call it 1, 2, and 3 again. So like 10 in mispar katan isn't 10. Yud is not 10, it's 1. And chaf isn't 20, it's 2. That's an idea. There's an idea in gematria of mispar katan. Well, why do we need all that? That's, that's all part of the mysticism of gematria. Gematria is, is not just a, a cute uh, Hasidic way of looking at words and mnemonics. It's, it's part of the building blocks of creation, uh, the Tanya tells us. Just like the letters are part of the creation, what makes the letters part of the creation is also the gematrias are part of the creation. Okay, when, when the good is coming, but it's coming, as we would say, in a way that's starting off with din. It's starting as you're breaking the kalim. So what happens is is that the good is there, but it's kind of small. <laughs> it's like in Mispar Katan. <laughs> so if we take the Yud, Hey, Vav, Hey, which is 26, right? Now, well, wait, I got the Hey is 5. It's already a small number. The Vav is a 6. It's already small. The Hey is a 5. It's small. Oh, but the Yud, I can make it smaller. And when I make it smaller, I would treat it like an Aleph, like the number 1. And that would be like Aleph, Hey, Vav, Hey, which we talked about that many weeks ago, if you remember. That's Gamachia 17. 
it's Gematria 17. So when, so when you're seeing judgment in your life, what you're seeing is the kindness coming through in a misperkotten. It's coming in a small way. And it looks bad. But even then, when it's coming in a small way, it's still tough. You follow? So even when Hashem's name, when Hashem just gives you good, just straight away, oh, that's good. There's nothing to question. It happens. It happens sometimes. It goes, sometimes goes to reverse. Hashem gives you the good first on an installment policy. He hopes you'll make the cup bigger to catch up to it. But sometimes Hashem most often doesn't work that way. Most often Hashem wants to make the cup bigger. So now what's happening? The Midas Hadin starts first. So this idea of sweetening the din. Sweetening the din is, listen, it's a yud vave. It is. But it's just what a misperkotten, you know. It's the same yud vave, but we're not giving that yud the full ten. We're giving it the one. Doesn't look so good. But you got to know, even though it doesn't look so good, it's still got 17 in it. It still has tov hidden in it. And if you believe that, and you live that way, then what's going to happen, you're going to see the explosion. And that yud hey vav that yud hey vav if we now take yud hey vav you know, every letter can be understood in its fullness. The yud... Now look at the beginning of this part, not the beginning, after the number 72. Look, if you want to spell the words Yud, it's Yud Vav Dalad. Spell Hey, Hey Yud, Vav, Vav Yud Vav. Hey, Hey Yud, you see that? Bim Luo, in its fullness, it's 72. And what's 72 equal? Techeset. So now think about this. You see, this is amazing. Amazing, it's a, it's a word game here, but it's a lot of depth to it. You have Hashem's name. 26. Hashem is that, is, that is the attribute of kindness. So, but what does Hashem do? Sometimes he's used, he starts it with, it's always starting with kindness. So with kindness, he has to break your vessel. Has to break your vessel. Because that's the only way you're going to get more. There's no other way to get it. You got to be bigger. Okay, you want to be bigger. So what is this? So the kindness comes through in a cut in a small way. Which looks bad. But you got to know, no, no, it's not bad. It's it's still 17, which is still Tov. There's Tov all over there. And if you believe that, and you live that way, and you allow your Kli to be expanded, you will not just get the yud hey vav hey 26. You will get 72. The fullness of it. And that's called the Chesed. And that's the Pshat now in the Pasuk, Hodu Lashem Ki Tov. We give thanks to Hashem, Kitov, not because He's good, when He's good. Hodu Lashem. We give thanks to Hashem, to Yudhe Vavhei, even when it only appears we get the 17 out of it, when it's the misperkut and when it doesn't look so pleasant. Ki because, Leolam, it's always meant for Chesed. The 72, the fullness, the fullness of everything Hashem wants to give you. And this is all said by the Zohar in Source 19, although the translation is very difficult to translate. This is very cryptically written. And that's what he, he talks about the idea of when David HaMelech says, Ach tova chesed yir defuni kol yimei 
Only tov and chesed run after me my whole life. So the Zohar says, well, if you have tov, what do you need chesed for? If you need chesed, what do you need tov for? So it says, this is what it is. Only tov and chesed chased me my whole life. Tov means the good that's concealed in a way that it doesn't look good, but if you look deep enough, you know there's good concealed in it. That's the tov, and the chesed is when it's explosive. When it's, everything comes out. Tov is when Yosef goes on to be Shrine. Command of it, It's good. It's Tov. It's Tov. It's a misperkutton of Yud Hey Yosef's dead. It's Tov. He's going to have Shrine. It's Tov. All these things are Tov. The, the, the cup, the, the, when he wants Binyamin to come down, the cups of it's all Tov. Hodul Hashem Kitov. Why? Kiliolam Chasto. Because he wants to be exponentially, wants to make it even bigger. Ach tov chesed, Only tov and chesed run through my whole life. It's not bad and good in my life. It's tov. Tov is that which appears to be bad, but is hidden inside a tremendous tov to make that happen. Okay. That is unbelievable. Okay. So the tov is hidden inside... And that's what he mystically says, you know, the tov is when it's not able to, the good isn't able to get all the way to the bottom yet. It's not able to penetrate into our lives. And we just call it tov. Okay. Okay, so that's that's a beautiful shot. And this is what Yaakov is trying to tell them all. Okay, so now what does the letter tov start with? The word tov starts with the letter tes. So let's get to the tes and let's get to this last part over here. What do we need these nine spaces over here? So let's go to source 20. Interesting, Gamar. If do you ever see letters in a dream? If you see the letter Tess in your dream, I have I never seen any letters. It's a good sign. It's a good sign. If you see a Tess in your dreams, that's a good sign. Why is it a good sign? So Gamar explains, if you look in Safer Brachis, when does the first time the letter Tess come in the Torah? Well, when it says Brachbrella came and went to Earth, and then it says the world was astonishingly empty, darkness on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering water, and we know the Medrashim say, darkness, this is Greece, the hint of the four exiles. That's a really bad Pusuk. Pusuk Bay is a really sad Pusuk. It's like din all over the place. Darkness, deep, abyss, astonishingly empty. Well, that's bad. And then Hashem said, let there be light. And Hashem saw the light by Yarlo Kimesa or Ki Tov. He sees that it's good. Okay? So the first time you see a test, it's good. Tov. It's good. So if you see a test, test stands for Tov. Test is good. I mean, the first time God could have tested for anything. But he chose Tov. That means that's a good sign. Test is a good letter. We also know another Gemara says, 22, a person dreams about what he thinks in the day. You usually think about, usually you dream, think about things, you, you think about it. So now what were you thinking about that you would get a test? You'd be thinking about what the test represents. What does the test represent? The test represents tov. And even in the way the letter shaped, if you look at a test, the right the test has got like a bottom and then a right side and a left side. The right side, you know, it's chesed. The left side is din. 
But but what do you see about the test? That on the top of the right side, it's bent in. The chesed side is bent in, and it, it's covered. You don't see it. It doesn't look as big as the din. If you look at a real test, a real test, the right side is smaller than the left side. The chesed side is smaller. Right is chesed. Right? So the test is, that you, I'm looking for my way. You have to turn around. For me, it's my right. So you're left, but my right. The test comes in like this. It shows that the tov is bent in. Can't always see the good. That's what tov is. And that's when you look at the psukim, the pusim, they're terrible psukim. The world was astonishingly empty. It's darkness and this and that. It was a situation of, da- of, of bad. But then Hashem said, but when, it, when it's so dark, the light is so much brighter. It's a beautiful backdrop for light. If the world was full of light and God gave you light, you wouldn't appreciate the gift that you have. So now Hashem makes the light to show that even in the darkness of Golis, there is good that will become chesed. And that's the test. And if a person will think, if you live during your day when things don't work out good and you say everything Hashem does is for the good. If you live that way, what are you going to dream about at night? You're going to dream about little tests. Of Hashem makes everything right for you. Okay? So you see, very interestingly, how this test, which is the gematria of nine. Okay? Now, let's do a little fancy math over here. The yud kevavke, bimi, uh, the, the straight yud kevavke is 26, right? The misperkotten of yud kevavke is what? 17. What's the difference? Nine. That's nine. Nine is what you get out of it. Nine. What? MS is misperkotten. Very good. Very good. You always get a good line in there. You always give me a good... Uh, thank you. MS is misperkotten. Misperkotten. Again, only with misperkotten. The Aleph is one. Mem is 40 is four. Suf is 400 is four. It's nine. Nine's a good number. And really, I think there's another thing about nine. I think all numbers somehow always come down to nine. I forgot that... Yeah, 9, 18, 27, 37. Anything is divisible by 9. Um, yeah, if you add them across, like, then we got a, what do you call it, a thing? Uh, can do math. 9 times 45. 9 times 45 is 405. 4 plus 0 plus 5 is 9. It doesn't work with other numbers. It only works with that. You multiply anything by 9. Whatever number you get, it's always 9. It's almost like whatever you do, it always comes back to nine. Nine is, is represents understanding the difference between the ultimate, the source of the ultimate good, and how it looks now, although it hasn't reached its culmination. You follow? It's when you have, when you know, when you truly believe that this yud hey vav hey, its complete kindness is starting this all. The water is flowing, and we have to break the cup. And when the cup is broken, that's tov. And that's 17. And well, because we're short nine, because that nine is we're trying to get things back to a way where I can get back to the Yudhei Vavhe in a way that it's Bimulo, that I even get 72, which is Chesed. Ach tov Chesed, Yudafuni Kol Yimei Tov is when it's good, but I don't, you don't see it good. Chesed is when you see it's good. The nine is that difference between that. So now if you think about it, do you understand? If you really think about 
Go through every parsha. Every parsha from the beginning of the Torah ends off lousy. <laughs> you got to, you got to. I can't go through this whole thing now, but something to think about. It and everyone ends terrible. Brachis. How do brachis end? Parshas brachis. Hashem sees the whole world's being corrupt. Hashem says, "I regret making the world." Showing the angels come down. They they even with the women. It's a terrible ending of the parsha. Terrible. Right? Noach. Hashem destroys the whole world. Things don't change much. Nimrod. Terrible. There's a hint that Avram was thrown into Orkazdim. End of Noach. It's terrible. The world's almost finished. Right? Lech Lecha. Well, well, Avram's emerging, but oh, it ended off pretty tough with circumcision. Oh, what's going to be? No one's going to visit me. I'm going to be different. How's the world going to accept me? Not so good. You know, if you go through every Parsha, it always seems to be not so good. Okay, man, you got to be able, I, I'm not going to do this now, but if you go all the way to Yisro and work your way back, you'll see why everything had to happen the way it had to happen. You'll see that there is so much tov in every parsha, although you may not see it, and especially when you come to the end, it looks like this is not this is not good. This is not good that Avram got certain. This is not good. You know, we ended Mikates. Uh, uh, they taken Binyamin back. They think that's it. We're finished. You, you, you do what you want. Not good. All these parshas not good. At the end of Vayetze, Yaakov's getting ready to see Esau. Not good, not good. So you know what? We need a space. You need a space? Think about it. You need a space to work on your Amun and Betachem. And how much is the space? Nine spaces. Nine spaces. Nine spaces. Yes, a minute. That's what we started off. The Allah, that's source four again. A minimum of nine spaces. It's for you to reflect and see what the tov is. To believe that there's tov coming here. And you know, just like there's a parsha, you know, we live with the parshas and we come to the end of a parsha and, and it doesn't look to be so good. So Moshe had to have time to sit and reflect, think about, see how it could be good. And really with this, you see, an amazing idea. Because it's not just Stama, nice, nice Hasidish Torah over here. You know, if you look at uh, Source 23, 24, 25, 26, <clears throat> we're told that uh, this world is not like the world in the future. Gemara says, in this world, for good tidings, we say, for everything. In the next world, we're going to say Atova Meitiv. Okay. Now, let's see, let's see, let's see how this plays out. The Medrash in Source 24, there's a few, few ways of it being described. But said the Torah was given to Moshe with a parchment of white fire and written with black fire. There's different ways it's worded. White fire etched into black fire. The Torah is given white fire upon black fire. What does that mean exactly? Well, it means like this. It means you've got the letters that are on the parchment. That's the black fire. 
But don't forget, there's another very important part to say for Torah, and if you don't have it, it's puzzle. It's the white parchment. That's very much a part of a Sefer Torah. And if you don't have enough white parchment, the Sefer Torah is not kosher either. It's not kosher either. Wait a minute, there's nothing written on it. <laughs> Who cares? That's the idea of the black parchment being written on the white parchment, the white, black fire on the white fl- fire doesn't have anything to meet the eye, but it's still part of Torah. It's no less a part of Torah. And when we say that I'll pick Kabbalah, there's 600,000 letters in the Torah, and we know that's not true. Because you know, there's only over 300,000 letters. Many say it includes the parchment, the spaces of the parchment. It's part of the Torah. There's a part of the Torah that you can see, and there's a part of the Torah you can't see. And it's interesting, the Torah, the Navi said, the Medrash says, from a Pasuk, Hashem says, a new Torah will come forth from me. Means that a new Torah will come from Hashem. What do you mean a new Torah is going to come from Hashem? The Rambam says in, in the Yud Gimel Ikrim 26, we believe in complete faith, the Torah we have will never be changed. What's this new Torah? And you know what the new Torah is? In this world, when we see things that are good, we say, Tov When things are not so good, we say, Baruch Dayanemes. But when the, net, when, when the new world will come, there'll be a new Torah. And that new Torah will show you that everything that looked bad, you're going to make a tova metiv on the thing. We're going to play it back now. We're going to play back all the misery and suffering, and everyone's going to say a tova metiv. And you know what? That's going to be the new Torah. And that's from the white parchment. That's the part of the Torah that you got to think and wait. And see that it's all good. The Torah begins with kindness and ends with kindness. Don't think there's one letter in between that's not kindness. Oh, what about this one? Killed it. It's all kindness. Well, right now I look at this, I make up dynamics. You can look at it, but there's space in between. You think about it. Think about it. Nine spaces. You think about it. And if you think hard and good, you can, you can come up with your own new Torah, even in your lifetime maybe. See how it's meant to make us bigger and better people. So now we understand what these what these pauses are all about. The pauses are the time for us to say command of it, Rahman of it. That's what the pause is for. And if we really get it, we get it. Now Hashem makes us into bigger Kalim. Now I don't like the way he ended this part, so I'm gonna just make a small maybe that's what he meant, I don't know. So what happens, though, when they go down to Egypt? Right? What is, let's go back to that Rashi. We just have to end the Rashi now. He says, well, when they went down to Egypt, their eyes and their hearts became closed. Because I mean, they couldn't look with their eyes and feel with their hearts that the suffering of Egypt could be for their good. To make them ready to receive the Torah. And that after he died... Their eyes, when Yaakov died, because Yaakov was the one teaching them this lesson. He was teaching them, Komando Ovid Rahman Latava, that's the whole Vayachi. The whole Vayachi is Komando Ovid Rahman Latava Ovid, Vayachi, Vayachi, Vayachi. You got to see it's good, but after he died, they couldn't see it. They couldn't see the good in the servitude. And their hearts couldn't feel the good in the servitude. So that's why it's those two body parts. But why, but why in the beginning of the Parsha? Is it closed? So he doesn't say this, but I would think, I think this might make more sense. 
he says, you know what? But this this parsha doesn't have doesn't have the gap. <laughs> if it doesn't have the gap, maybe it's because we really got the message and don't need the pause. Since Vayechi Yaakov, Vayechi Yaakov, Beres Mitzrayim, Yaakov lived, prospered, growed spiritually in Mitzrayim. Shana, 17 years of teaching them that this whole life was tov. And if Yaakov now changed his tune and taught him was tov, do you need the space in between? You don't need the space in between if it becomes clear. You understand? The space is when it's, it's, it's tov, but you know, well, we hope it'll be good one day, eventually be good. Better think about it. But when Yaakov was able to demonstrate with his Shema Yisrael, and he made it clear to them, was showing to them, no, 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 it is good, it is good right now, then they didn't need the gap. They did not need the gap. It all, it all was crystal clear. It came out so good, there couldn't be anything better than it. So that, and because Yaakov had done complete tshuva, and his not being able to see the tov. And if you're able to see the tov, then you don't need the gaps anymore. That might be uh, the way of understanding that. Because otherwise, the gap is still there. Why is it there? So that that's the beauty of that. Okay, there's other parts of the Parsha that fit into this. I just don't have time to go through all the, the brachas of Ephraim. Menashe fit into this idea, but we don't have time to get into it. So let's take this back to Shiva Serbatamas. Okay, good? Everything's good in the Parsha? So that's the message of Ayechi. If a Jew lives... That Hashem is making us into bigger cups. Okay, so now let's look. Let's look at Shiva, uh, the tenth of Tevis. Let's look at the tenth of Tevis. What makes the tenth of Tevis different than every other fast day? We asked. That's how we started this, and we said even if we come on Shabbos, you'd fast on Shabbos. It doesn't come on Shabbos. What do you mean? It says Abu Draham. Well, it's not. It's interesting. There is one other scenario besides Jim Kipper. There's one other scenario where a Jew is allowed to fast on Shabbos. What is that? It's an halacha. We don't do it, but it's an halacha. What is that? Yeah, a bad dream. If a person has a very bad dream, like you're going to die. You feel you, your mom is shaking when you get up from that. Your mom is you're going to die. So there's two ways you can deal with that. The Talmud says the optimal way is to fast any day of the week. And the fasting brings a kapar for it. Okay? Now, generally, that's true. That's true. But, you know, we're not, we, don't, we don't do well fasting. And therefore, okay, we have a thing, a whole thing called being hatovas uh, chalom. You make the dream good. You go to three people and you say, I saw such a dream. And they say, it should come out for the good. And it makes the dream better. Okay. But in halacha, obviously, the better thing is to fast. And in halacha, it says, and if you have a dream on Friday night, you can fast on Shabbos. I, what do you think? You're not allowed to fast on Shabbos. What are you talking about fast on Shabbos? Oynik Shabbos. Oynik Shabbos. You're not allowed to fast on Shabbos. The answer is, yeah, but if you had such a dream that you're going to die, how are you going to have any Oynik Shabbos knowing that this is a bad dream? And if you know that the fasting will undo the effects of the bad dream, that's going to be your Oynik Shabbos. Then you're allowed to fast on Shabbos. Now, although you got to fast another day to make up for fasting on Shabbos. 
but uh, but technically you could fast on Shabbos. But generally speaking, I mean, there might be some big tzaddikim who fast when they have a bad dream. Generally, we don't do it. But in halacha, if you look in halacha, that's right there. You, you generally was assumed we fast if you have a bad dream. And, and, and the halacha says clearly, if you really are so distraught from that dream on Friday night, you could fast on Shabbos. Because that brings you oinik. Now, so what do you see? That when are we, and, and why we fast on Yom Kippur? On Shabbos. Because on Yom Kippur, Hashem's going to decide your whole life. The whole year's on the line. The whole year's on the line. And the whole fasting that you make yourself the best person you could be, it's the ultimate tshuva, this and all this, what goes into Yom Kippur. Can you imagine Yom Kippur if you weren't fasting? Maybe Yom Kippur was on a Thursday. Can you imagine not fasting on Yom Kippur? You're going to feel, that wasn't a Yom Kippur. I don't know if Hashem is going to forgive me. You'd be nervous. You know, in a certain sense, don't you really enjoy fasting on Yom Kippur? On a certain level, on a certain level, aren't you so grateful you can fast on Yom Kippur? Wow, I can fast this and I clean the deck. All the avarice are gone. Wow, I'm going looking forward to a year with a fresh slate. Now Yom Kippur comes and Shabbos, oh, Shabbos, not a lot of fast. What are you talking about? My biggest pleasure is to fast. So what do you see? How do we fit this idea of fast day and Shabbos? Very simple. Yom Kippur is different than the other fasts. The other fasts are to remember the base of Mishra was destroyed. That's in the past. A commemoration of the past, it's no Tainug to fast on Tisha of the Shabbos. I don't get a pleasure fasting on Tisha B'Av and Shabbos. I don't get a, t- a pleasure fasting on the 17th of Thomas. It's no pleasure because it's the past. It's the past. We're, we're remembering a bad thing. And on Shabbos, it's not, it's not Shabbos. But if there's something I could do to make the future better, then Shabbos gets pushed away. Yom Kippur is going to make my future better. That bad dream I fast will make my future better. Fasting is a lot. You hear the difference? Why is it? When do we decide you can fast on Shabbos? You can't. If it, if that fasting is going to make you happy by making my life better, Yom Kippur is going to make my life better. I had a bad dream, makes my life better. So now we have to come to the only conclusion, says the Chassam Sofer, brilliant. Chassam Sofer says, so let's take a look at the 10th of Teves. What is it about the 10th of Teves we're exactly commemorating? So on the one hand, you said, it doesn't seem to be a big thing. They laid siege. Nothing really happened for another three years. But do you think, now, now when they laid siege, what, how would we look at that? That was Hashem saying, you know, I'm, you know, can you imagine how small the Jewish cups had become? The collective Jewish people, their cups, through all those years of Averos, how small their cups were. And Hashem says, I really want to make your cups very big. So sometimes I got to bring you a very bad situation, like you have Nebuchadnezzar surrounding Yerushalayim. That's really bad. Yeah, but, but, but just because it's surrounding Yerushalayim and it looks like it's going to destroy Yerushalayim doesn't mean it have to destroy Yerushalayim. You can look at this judgment, see the good in the judgment, and make yourself into better cups. Listen, it wasn't that much before, about a hundred years before, a little more, in the times of King Chizkiyahu, where Sancheirev, the mo- at that time, was the most powerful person. He wiped out the ten tribes. 
He's at Yerushalayim. He didn't lay siege. He didn't have to bother to lay siege. Tomorrow he's wiping them out. Tomorrow he's wiping them out. And Chizkiyot says, listen, I did everything I could do for Klai Shul. I taught them Torah. I did this. I changed the whole world for that. And guess what? Hashem destroyed San So the fact that there's a siege laid, yes, there's a czar din. No question about it. It's a bad dream. It's a bad dream. And if you don't do anything about the bad dream, you're going to be destroyed. It's really bad. But you see, Hashem gave him three years. It was three years till the thing got destroyed. So what could you have done in those three years? Look at that din. This must be the best thing that's happening to us. If he could get us to do tshuva, to make us into bigger cups. You know, the, the die was not cast. And therefore, that's the whole point of that fast day. That, that fast day is different than the other fast days. It wasn't for sure going to be bad. It looked bad. It was the hidden test which is interesting why Tish above is the ninth above. Also, it's another interesting idea. It's right on the ninth because it looked really bad, but eventually it's going to be good because you know on Tish above the Mashiach is born. But anyway, but 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 by the 10th of Teves, who says it has to be bad? It's bad, yeah, but who says it's not Tov? Who says not Tov? And it'll be a Chesed multiplied, uh, 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 Hashem's name multiplied to be a Chesed. It could be the greatest Chesed in the world. Aye, but what happened? They were too busy with their own politics with each other. They didn't do anything. They wasted the opportunity. But what does that mean? It means every year when we come to these fast days, there's a different way of looking at all of them. When you come to Tisha B'Av, it's not a happy day, and we don't think about any happiness. It's just remembering a destruction that happened, and that's nothing we could do to stop that. Same thing with Shivas or Batamas. Same thing with Som Gedalia. You come to the tenth of Tevis, Gemara says, any generation in which the base of Migdash was not rebuilt, it's as if it was destroyed. So what does that mean? It means on a certain level, the base of Migdash, now it means it's as, as, it's as if it was destroyed, means Hashem sort of having the base of Migdash here that will get destroyed on Tisha B'av. It's like there's, there's still a base of Migdash. There's, there's a, Hashem's ready to, to bring the base of Migdash down. The base of Migdash above it, it could come down, it could come down. It's only it's only the tenth of Teves. It's still another eight months till Tishabov. We don't have to have a Tishabov this year, you know. Because any generation which a temple is not rebuilt, it's as if it was destroyed. The destruction will happen this Tishabov. But it doesn't have to happen on Tishabov because now they're only leading siege upon us. And since there's only a siege upon us, it's up to us. And now, what can we do? Fasting could maybe make it better. So what's the idea of the fasting now? The fasting is for us to think about and to read the, the nine empty spaces that are supposed to be there. Read in between the lines. And maybe Hashem wants to make us a bigger keli. And if we're bigger keli, Hashem could bring the blessings. And Hashem could bring a, a base of Migdash for us. So that's what makes the 17th of Thomas different than any, uh, the 10th of Tevis different than all the other fasts. We're not reflecting on the past. We're reflecting on the future. The base of Migdash for Tov, Shin, Ayin, Ches has not yet been destroyed. And we get a warning seven months in advance. Tishabov can be Mashiach. Now fast, what? And now if we come out even on Shabbos, let's fast. Because we could change what the future is. 
Aye, the things with the greatest opportunities, the Sutton makes us think it's not a special day, it's a short fast, have an easy fast, and goodbye, and this and that, and keep yourself busy, and don't think about anything. But Parshish Vayechi, that's telling us, and it's almost always, Parsh, not always, but almost always, Parshish Vayechi is always with the 10th of Teves. It's trying to show us that really the 10th of Teves is Vayechi Yaakov, Peretz Mishraim, Shana. Able to see the, the the kindness that's hitting the tov that's hidden inside all this, so we're living in a, in a very terrible gullus, and we're how are we ever going to get Mashiach out of this? We got to look at every part of the gullus of the of the general Jewish people's lives, and the specific our personal individual lives. Many of us, you know, if there's a base that makes us destroyed, that means inside there's a churban. Between us and Hakadosh Baruch Hu, there's a big churban going on. Our, our utensils are not quite big enough. So Hashem says, maybe we got to break ourselves a little more, a little more, a little more, until maybe we're a big enough cup that Hashem could put us in to be that kli machzik bracha between the good and the bad that should bring shalom for us. It should bring Mashiach b'mehir v'yameinu, amen. Okay, this was the only version I did this week.